I hope you're coming from a great week. We had a fun time last week celebrating what holiday were we getting together around? Father's Day, celebrating the dads. And so we had the the car show. It was a blast. And uh, one of the things we did in the service, you might remember, is we had some awards for some folks in our our church based on a little competition, friendly competition. One of those was the biggest fish caught. And so rather than just hearing fish stories, I had the two gentlemen actually sent me pictures. This is Cass Collins on the left as a supermodel there. Uh, uh, and, and that's the fish that he caught. I like that the names are double C's for both of them. Uh, and, that, and then Courtney Case also, and so some pretty large fish there. So that validates the stories there. They weren't just fish stories. And that has nothing to do with what we're doing today, but I thought I'd show you the pictures. <laughs> so anyway, th- this morning, this, this, this morning is for those of you who will admit that you're the type A personality that doesn't like to leave something unfinished. Anybody else fa- fall in this category? You like to complete something? And in fact, uh, when I mentioned to somebody that, yeah, last week we were starting this new Average Joe series and we didn't get a chance to uh, finish the book of Titus, I was talking to one group and the woman in the group, he, he, the look on her face of just utter panic was con- concerning to me. And so, and so for those of you that don't like to leave something unfinished, this is a chance for us to dive into the last couple of verses of Titus. We're going to be in Titus 3, 9 through 15 here this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to use one from the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible home with you as a gift from us. So we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15 and really a confession. When I first read this last section, I went through that, and as a, a pastor, you sit down and kind of work through the text. And I was feeling like, man, there just wasn't a, a whole lot there. But the amazing thing about God's Word is the more you spend time pondering over it, dwelling over it, allowing the Spirit to speak to you about the text, it's amazing how it comes more and more to life. And so that's what's been happening for me for the last two weeks. I've spent a lot of time on this text in the last couple of weeks. And so this morning, my prayer is that it would come to life as the, the body of Christ here as well. One of the things that you'll notice and why I think this passage is so important is really, if you think about it, if you're talking with somebody or you're writing them a letter, especially somebody that you really care about, you typically, a lot of times, you'd leave your most important things or the summary of the most important things to the end. It'd be the last reminder. You'd want to say, hey, I want to make sure I get this across before I conclude. I was thinking about Jesus Christ spending time with his disciples in the, the Last Supper and that you imagine the, in that room the, the intensity of the, the talk he was going through and reiterating lots of things he wanted them to make sure they remembered from his teaching over the last three and a half years. And in, in that conversation, you imagine in the room that the disciples would have been just like listening in, just bound on every single word that Jesus Christ spoke. But then at the end, and you can read about uh, the, the summary of that in John 17, the end of, his, uh, uh, of his, the conversation, he started praying for his disciples. He started praying a few things for them. But I think it was fascinating in John 17, and you imagine the disciples listening, well, what is Jesus, God in the flesh, going to say to God the Father on our behalf? What's he going to ask for? And who can remember in John 17 what it is that Jesus prayed for for the disciples and the people? What, what was the thing that he prayed for for them? Anybody remember that? Prayed for oneness. He prayed for unity 
That kind of gave it away. Unity within the the body of of Christ. That's what he was praying for, for his disciples. And in fact, he not only prayed that for his disciples. Did you know that in Jesus' last prayer uh, with his disciples, that he also prayed for the people in this room right now? Isn't that weird to think about? Take a look in in John uh, 17, 20. It talks about it. I have it on the screen there, so you don't have to turn there necessarily. He says this referring to us if we've embraced Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it says, I do not ask for these only, referring to the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? That's us. As the word's been passed on, the good news of the gospel has been passed on to each one of us in this room. He's praying for them that they may all be one. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. What a parallel, this picture that he's saying. In the same degree of oneness between the Father and the Son, that's what he's praying for us as the church. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I love to think of the the idea of unity being a validating factor to the world around us. When we're one, when we do a good job with this, the world notices that. They see that, and it can be a way to point to God's greatness. So this was the last prayer of Jesus Christ for his followers. But then if you think about it, as it parallels this morning with Paul's last words to this pastor, who was a close friend of him, a younger pastor, his last words parallel, because in this, in this text we're going to see as we unpack it, is really talking about the same thing, protecting unity, oneness, in the body of Christ. It was something so important that it made it to Jesus' most last words of prayer for his followers, and it makes it to the description that Paul gives for us, a desire for unity. So it must be pretty important, wouldn't you agree? Made Jesus' top list, made, made Paul's top list, so probably important for us to listen to. Let me pray before we dive into the text. God, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to see some last, some last words and a, a uni, unified uh, uh, between Paul and Jesus uh, of the desire for a oneness amongst the body of Christ. I pray, God, that you'd speak to us now through this text, that, that you would allow to illuminate what it is that you want us to glean. Why is this important for us? How does it relate to my life today? Am I even wrestling through questions like, am I somebody that brings unity to the body of Christ, or do I sow discord? I pray that you'd speak to us, you'd meet us even in these moments, that you would be great and I would be small. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to look at a couple different areas in the text there that it was pointing towards this desire for unity, but the first one is in verse 9, this idea of keeping focused on what's profitable keeping focused on what's profitable. Verse 9 says this, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. If you remember in the last section that we looked at in in Titus, the last little bit that we talked about, he was talking about being devoted to good works, which are excellent and profitable. You can even glance back there. Excellent and profitable for people. 
I absolutely loved, you might remember a few year, weeks back, we had a, a list, we had an opportunity for you to share some of the ways that you were living out good works in the community and serving other people and meeting needs and uh, just reading through a 25 plus uh, list of different things that in the course of one week we were actually living out. It was so encouraging to me as the, the pastor of this church and really, what he's, dialogue, what he's dialoguing about here now is saying, hey, listen, that's the way, and I mentioned this term before, that we're a compelling before and after picture to the world around us. They see like, wait a second, this person was all about them before they em embraced Jesus Christ. Now they're about serving and meeting needs around them. That's compelling to the world around us. But he's painting the opposite picture now, so he talked first about what was profitable, and now he's saying, What's unprofitable? What's of no profit in the life of a believer? And what does he say are those things? The first thing he says, but avoid foolish controversies. Foolish controversies. The word used for foolish there is the same word used for moronic or a moron. He's saying avoid moron controversies. That's what scripture says there. He's saying, he's saying listen, there's things, that areas that we, you can debate about that you're never going to see from the same light. You're never going to be on the same page with the person. So why do you go into a debate that can't be solved? Foolish controversies, arguments about philosophy or theology based on human reason rather than God's word. We get sucked into that. It's so easy. Think about how many conversations in Christian world are kind of that like, hey, have you ever, ever thought about this? What do you think about this? I remember one I've heard over the years. Can God make a rock bigger than he can pick up? You guys ever heard that one before? Can God, and you're, that, that gets you pondering. Wait a second, can he? Can he not? Can he make a, wait a second, that's, that's perplexing. Like, here, here's the, the truth is those kind of discussions about things that are, are, are just not of importance don't serve the body of Christ. Don't benefit us when they become areas of, hey, I drew the line right here, I'm over here, you're over there. It doesn't serve us as the body of, uh, body of Christ. So foolish controversies, genealogies. Genealogies would be referring to someone's family line. You know scripture is full of that so-and-so begot so-and-so and, and, and tons of that pointing to the line of Christ. And a lot of people, even in that time period, had really read into family lines and come to some conclusions that just weren't there. That's what he's warning them about. He's saying, don't go down those silly rabbit trails and get off target of what's actually important. Dissensions, so he says foolish controversies, dissensions, genealogies, uh, I'm sorry, genealogies, dissensions. Dissensions is a term that's more of an umbrella statement. It covers lots of things within the body of Christ that people argue or debate over. Think about how many things fall under that umbrella in church world. You know, like everything from, from paint color, we're going to deal with that in a few weeks with the Refresh Project, I'm sure. Uh, everything to uh, paint color, to type of music, to guitar-led, piano-led style. Like there's so many things that are areas or fall under that umbrella of areas of dissension. I was a part of a church for a season, was on staff. I was the pastor of outreach and connection at a church. And uh, one of the things, uh, I, I didn't push this, but one of the things that came up in the church's life was they're deciding whether or not to change the name of the church. And if you've ever been a part of a church that's going through a potential name change, people 
got very passionate, we'll just say that that's a nice word to say for it, very passionate about this decision of a name change. There, and there was a church where they voted on such matters. There was people, there was members that you hadn't seen in 10 years that came out of the woodworks to come determine the name of the church. I mean, it was, a, it was like a 51 versus 49% and people calling, people trying to sway the vote. You're like, what in the world? As the pastor of outreach, I was like, man, I wish people were equally passionate about reaching the lost community that desperately needs Jesus Christ as the silly name change. And it was even just one word being changed in the name of the church. I was like, really? Really? That's what this is talking about. Not debating about the Avoid it. It's something that we're supposed to avoid. We're not supposed to get sucked into it. Church name, other debatable things, quarrels about the law. But here I want to make sure that we're clear on this because it uses the word quarrels about the law. There's nothing wrong in the body of Christ to be working together to try to come to some conclusions about what does it look like to live out my faith practically? What does it look like to, to honor God in my actions in this scenario? What, 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 how does this work? Based on this passage, what does this mean to my life? Those are the kind of things that are profitable and can build up and can be Christ-honoring. Does that make sense? Because there's going to be things that are, that are gray and we're trying to come to conclusions on. So those are, 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 are profitable. So we have to wrestle through and seek the Holy Spirit to identify whether it's an authentic issue that's worth wrestling through, or whether it's just me becoming a contentious person, seeking the Spirit on that. Am I just trying to, to pick a fight? Some questions that we can ask ourselves to help determine this is, how about this one? Does, does this come out of a genuine concern for the other person? When you're bringing out, up the debate issue or the area to talk about, is it because you're genuinely concerned about them and their well-being? Or am I just trying to be right or to, to win an argument. Those are things to wrestle through. The Spirit can help you gleam and determine which one of those. Am I honestly seeking truth myself, or do I just want to air my own opinion? Am I honestly seeking? You see, there's a difference between the person that's stirring up dissension and trying to stir the pot, and the person that's really trying to seek truth and understand God's word. Well, there's tons of tolerance for people figuring that out. And so I don't want us to be a, a church or a body that's absent of discussion and trying to solve what does it look like to live out following Christ in today's generation. Here's a foundational verse that I think is really helpful in gleaming this. James 1.19 points to a healthy approach to this. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How allowing that verse to wash over all the areas of dialogue within the body of Christ, how that would radically change the conversations, right? Think about those terms, quick to hear. My, my wife would give an amen to that because maybe sometimes I'm not as quick to hear as I need to be. But imagine if you start thinking to yourself, hey, I want to really take time to hear where this person's coming from, to hear their perspective, to be slow to speak. Anybody attest to how many things would be avoided, difficulties in your life, if you just adopted that one principle? Slow to speak, taking time, thinking through, seeking the Holy Spirit. How do you want me to respond to this? How do you want me to react? What's an appropriate God-honoring thing? Slow to speak and slow to anger. 
So many people have such short fuses, it takes so little to set them off. This is a guiding principle for for how we relate and deal with uh, areas of dissension. My brothers, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. About a, a month ago, I had uh, lunch at Chipotle, which is a fine dining establishment, uh, with, uh, with my friend Scott Luber. And uh, in the course of the conversation, I absolutely love Scott. In the course of our conversation, is just about this and that. We, we came to conclude that there's a few different doctrinal things that we might see differently on. And it was, it was okay. It was really neat to see how that conversation played out because I think we stayed God-honoring in it. We didn't allow it to become a debate over this or a debate over that. I was like, huh, interesting. Both of us came away from a different thoughts and saying, hey, it would be neat to sit down and talk through how you landed on that position, how you came to that conclusion, and, and not allowing it to become a source of tension. We're leaving Chipotle hugging and, and, and best buds. Like that's, that's the way that I think God desires this, where it's something where iron sharpens iron, where we encourage each other. It's an appropriate way to respond, to protect the unity of the body of Christ. Look in verse 10, another principle here as we, as we move on is in Scripture, man, it's pretty intense that there's not a whole lot of tolerance for division. Take a look what it says. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, I love how practical Scripture is, after warning him once, then twice, you get two shots, not three strikes, have nothing more to do with them. Whew. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Pretty intense section of scripture there, isn't it? Like when you first read that. But if you think about it, what's the opposite of unity? Division. That's what he's saying there. For, as for a person who stirs up division, which is the opposite of what Paul hoped for and the opposite of what Jesus prayed for, that person, he's, uh, he's warning them against. He's cautioning them. If you think about it, even in the early, this is the infancy of the church. This is when it's just getting out of the gates and already this is seen as a potential, is, a potential issue within the body of Christ. And then if you play out church history over the last couple thousand years, would you say that it's been a, a running theme of issue? Ha, has dissension within the body of Christ, has that been a, a, a growing concern? Yes, it's, it's a big deal. It's something that Jesus foresaw. It's something that Paul warned and cautioned against. It's something we're to take very seriously. If you think about the way the world must look at this from outside of the church, you think about it, like when they see us within the body of Christ, that's why I said in that opening verse how it's a, has it has the potential, unity has the potential to proclaim God's glory, but division has the potential for the outside world to look at, at the body of Christ and mean like, why would I want to have anything to do with this group of people? They can't get along. They don't play nicely. They, 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 they debate over the silliest of things. They argue over stuff. The world around us must wonder why they'd want to be part of such a divisive group. Baptists criticizing Methodists, Presbyterians arguing with Lutherans, Episcopalians breaking off from the Catholics. An outsider would conclude Christianity is all about petty doctrinal arguments. That's what's broken about this. That's why Paul is so careful here to say, listen, 
There are some important things. There needs to be a framework to protect unity within the body of Christ because the effect of not protecting it is dangerous to the most important thing, which is the gospel message. Does that make sense? So that's why he's giving these guidelines. He's saying, listen, first he tells them, you need to avoid this. Do your very best to avoid it. Stay away from it. Don't get sucked into it. There's lots of hooks out there that are, it's so easy to bite on. You know, I watch social media. It's, it's so easy to bite the hook and get into this divisive argument. But he's saying avoid this. But then, if someone doesn't avoid this, take a look at what he says how to respond. Give them two warnings and then have nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. That's pretty intense. But that's how serious God takes this area of unity within the body of Christ. Proverbs 6.19 describes different things that are an abomination to God. Abomination, it would be the things that like most disgust God. And one of the things that he lists under that umbrella of abominations, is a, it's a short list, is it, he describes people who sow discord. People who sow discord, people that cause uh, conflict and are constantly looking for division within the body of Christ. It's a warning. Look at what the text describes that person as. It says, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. That's what this text describes them as. The idea of warped, it's the same term that you'd use for someone, if you've ever played sports and had a bad sprained ankle, anybody ever done that? That idea of something that's bent the wrong way. I remember playing basketball on a couple different times, landing on somebody's foot after dunking. No, that didn't really happen. Uh, but uh, after playing basketball, coming down on somebody's foot, and that foot, that sinking feeling, I don't know if you've had this in athletics before, where you feel it start to roll over itself, and you're like, oh my goodness, it's going to be another six weeks where the next morning it swells up twice its side, it changes all kinds of unique colors you didn't know your body was capable of. Anybody done this before? It's just a miserable feeling, and that's what he's comparing it to. He's saying, listen, that person that's trying to cause dissension in the body of Christ, they're warped and sinful. And here's an important piece to understand in that last section of that, that verse. Knowing that such a person is warped and sin, sinful, he is self-condemned. A lot of times, the hook that pulls us into these conversations is that we feel like we need to correct somebody and fix all of their doctrinal errors and, and, and redirect them and get them back on the, on the right path. It's, it's not our job. It's not our job to fix somebody that's just looking to stir the pot. It's not our job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and to transform. How many of you have felt like you've done a good job? Like, have you been successful in, like, changing somebody on these things? It's so rare and uncommon that it comes out of a debate that somebody's changed. He says you don't need to condemn them. They're already self-condemned. So you can take off the judge robes. You can say, listen, I don't need to fix them. I don't need to solve this. But it, what it does caution you about is maybe even not having something to do with this person, avoiding them because of the potential damage that they can bring to the body of Christ, avoiding it. This, this description there, a person who stirs up division. When I was first starting at the church, there was someone that was just in the process of, of, of leaving the church. And I remember it stuck in my, in my mind, the conversation that I had with that person. They said that they weren't sure where everyone went that they used to rally when they disagreed with the elders. I was like, 
did you just say that to me? Like you're, you're, you're concerned because everybody that you used to rally when you disagreed with the elders are gone. I was like, you know what, that, that's a great example of what the church isn't supposed to be. It's not supposed to be rallying uh, 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 like a coup against leaders. Like what is that? Like that's exactly what scripture is talking about, to protect the unity and so I've tried to personalize that this week, asking that question. Maybe you can do that same question. When I'm part of a church, do I help promote unity? When I'm part of a church, when I'm part of a body of Christ, you can ask the same question, whether it's in your life group or the serving areas that you're in. Do you, are you somebody that somebody would say, like, you know what, they promote unity. They, they help the church move towards that. Or are they somebody that you're like, you know, they tend to kind of add, uh, stir the pot and add dissension. It's something that we should wrestle through. The alternative we're going to see in verse 12 is to work together. Take a look at verse 12 of this picture is an alternative to stirring the pot and causing dissension. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me. And this is a word test. Uh, Nicopolis, I butchered that. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, not the warrior princess, the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. So he paints this picture, and at first you might breeze past that, and you're like, well, that, what do you gleam out of that? What I gleam out of that is there's alternative to division with the, in the church. This is a picture of leaders, multiple different churches, all working in unison together. Do you see that there? He's saying, listen, I'm going to send this person over here. You're going to send this person. Hey, why don't you come stay with me? I'm going to be here for the winter. We'll hang out. We'll do ministry together. It's a beautiful picture of the opposite of dissension. It's a picture of unity, of, of the church working together to meet needs. It describes a number of different people. Artemis, we're not sure who he is. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Tychicus, who was a faithful courier for Paul. Zenus who was the only Christian lawyer mentioned in Scripture, so there is hope. I'm just teasing. Uh, and, and so, But it, it's fun to picture all of these guys, this, this network of, of men honoring God and, and serving Him in the body of Christ. I love this idea of churches working together. I don't know if you know this about Agora Bible Fellowship, but we're part of uh, a denomination. It's called Converge. A lot of you attend here and you're like, I didn't even know that. It used to be called the Southwest Baptist Conference until they learned that Baptist makes people feel squirmy. And so they, uh, they came up with the, the title Converge, which I like that idea of people coming together to work together. And for the last couple of months, I've been really trying to be intentional as the body of Christ to try to see what, what does it look like to work with a network of other churches. I had a, a meeting just on Thursday uh, with a group of 10 other pastors in the area. It was fantastic. Spending time over praying for the church, Big C Church. Spending time sharing best practices, things we're learning, the way God's stretching us. It's been a wonderful resource, 
even in my life. In the last month, a couple other churches that we've been meeting talking about discipleship plans. It was fun on, on Thursday. We concluded that the best way to end this meeting of pastors gathering is we went to Thousand Oaks and they have one of those high-speed go-kart tracks called MB2. And so can you picture all these pastors like out there and some of the senior saints, man, it was awesome. Like just rocking around these turns. I came in second. But anyway, uh, uh, but, but anyway, it was, a, it, was a wonderful, it was a wonderful time of bonding and unity. Isn't that more the picture of what you think Jesus' desire and plan for the, maybe not the go-kart part, but uh, God's, God's plan for the church would be is a unified effort to, to share the love of Jesus Christ with the world around us. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome p- potential. He loved that, that, and he goes on to explain how this is a, a, a big deal. He says, and let our people, so this is under the umbrella of meet the needs of others, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This idea of, of coming alongside and supporting people and meeting needs. Notice that it says, let our people learn. Let our people learn. You see, serving and meeting other people's needs isn't necessarily something, we've talked about this a while back, isn't something necessarily that comes natural to us. Anybody else want to confess that? Like, what's natural to me is me. But what it's saying is let your people, this be an area that you grow in, meeting other people's needs, serving them. I think we're a church that does a fantastic job within our body. I, I love it. Even seeing here in reports of the Agape team that's out, that's our high school choir. That's why there's like no high school students here uh, today. Uh, going out and serving all over the, the California area and just uh, uh, ministering at homeless shelters, at-risk groups, like just tons of ministry that's happening. And because because of that, the reason they're able to do that is from this church that's kind of going behind them. I love scriptures full of, of senders and goers. We do a great job of being some of us being senders, some of us being goers. Some of us sometimes being the goer, sometimes being the sender. That's the way that he wants the body of Christ to work. That's what he described in that last section. Senders and goers, both are key. But then he describes this in this last section of good works so as to help cases of urgent need. I feel like I hear weekly just story after story of whether it's meeting a a need of housing, job search, helping with finances, missions, trips, scholarships. Our church does a really good job of that. I would love for it to ripple outside of this body even further into our community for it to become a lifestyle. I was with a, a couple I was with the Masseys over in Carpinteria. We spent a couple days up there uh, last week and, uh, and just talking with them. I was sharing with them just uh, one of the needs of, uh, of someone in our community that I knew was a legitimate thing that they were lacking. And I said, yeah, you know, I was kind of spreading the word. I was like, if you know somebody that has this resource that might be able to help out, uh, just keep that in mind. As a true story, as I'm in the middle of talking to them about it, my wife gets a call on her phone from that person saying that somebody else in the church had already met that need. I was like, how cool is it? Was, it was something just to see how like the body of Christ, when it's working well and meeting needs, it's a fantastic thing. It's a beautiful thing. Good, wor- good works, meeting needs. 
I love to make that parallel. John 15 talks about us being fruitful. When you're connected to the vine, that's just natural that we're going to bear fruit. A lot of times you hear terms like bear fruit, and you're like, what does that mean? But here, it's real practical. It explains it. So as to help cases of urgent needs and good works, both fall under the umbrella of somebody that's living a fruitful life. Somebody that's meeting needs and, and extending the love of Jesus Christ to people through tangible ways. It's an awesome picture Meeting needs. It's the opposite of disunity. It's the opposite of disunity. He ends with this last picture in verse 15. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. And then I love these last words. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. You see, grace is the thing that meets people's greatest need. What meets people's greatest needs. We might be able to solve some of the tangible things like housing and finances and resources and help this and that. But the grace is the truth of what every single soul longs for. And if you're wondering why this unity is such a big deal, it's to protect that message. It's to protect that because that's what we've been entrusted with. We've been entrusted with grace to extend to others. And so when we're bickering and fighting and getting all bent off out of shape over the wrong stuff, it keeps us from the main thing. It keeps us from that. This is why unity is so important. We should be determined not to let anything get in the way of people experiencing grace. I jotted this down. Uh, one of our elders passed this, this sentence on to me. I thought it was a good one. It says, If an unchurched person has only heard squabbling about foolish controversies and disputes about the law and hasn't heard from us the life-changing message of Jesus, we owe them an apology. We owe them an apology. You see, that's the, the thing, is we have the potential to meet or to answer Jesus' prayer for the church. Isn't that cool to think about? Us as the body of Christ has the potential to answer by our actions Jesus Christ's prayer for the church by sowing unity, by avoiding things that are dissension, uh, areas of dissension, by, by not, even spend, not even associating with somebody that is engaging in that. You can meet the, the prayer of Jesus Christ by being a church of unity, and it starts by being individuals that are united. For those of us that were like, you know what? I'm not going to get sucked into that. I'm not going to get sucked into the debates. I'm not going to be, be sucked into the one causing the debates. That doesn't mean that, the, like I said before, there's not healthy interactions, but it's an awesome privilege to think of ourselves as the potential to answer Jesus' prayer and to meet Paul's expectations. That's a pretty cool thing, right? Let me pray for us as we try to move towards that as a church. God, I thank you for this text and just how practical it is in that you call out areas that have the potential to derail us, to get us off task as the body of Christ. I pray, God, that we would learn from this, that we would glean from this, that your Holy Spirit would help this take root and our hearts individually and collectively, that we'd be known, that we'd be seen as a church that's united, that's on the same page, that's working together for the common cause of meeting needs and extending grace. 
God, we need your help in this. We can't do this on our own. Our natural is to go back to the old self, the old flesh. God, I pray that even this week, you'd stir a, a, a new passion for this in our lives and hearts, God. We thank you that you haven't left us alone in this effort, that, you, that you've committed to walk beside us and to strengthen us and empower us in this effort. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're so dependent on that love as we get all this stuff figured out. Amen. Pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. Living this out, just trying to avoid dissension, avoid anything of, of controversy, looking for things that build up, that don't tear down. Amen. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.